the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. Back to more of our conversation with Christian apologist and best-selling author Ron Rhodes. And we made mention earlier on the fact that for a lot of people, sadly, the Bible has been used to record marriages and deaths, press flowers, maybe even hide a 20 spot for emergencies. But as Ron is suggesting, it's not by accident that God has made Scripture not only available to us, but as complete as it is, so that there's more than just historical value to it. There's also educational and applicational value to it. And toward that end, Ron, let's dive a little bit deeper, because as tongue-in-cheek I mentioned earlier, sure enough, you didn't leave any of the books out. You've managed to extract and extrapolate from every single book of the Bible, valuable lessons that are being taught that, in fact, do have a modern-day application to every single believer. I'm curious, even for your field of of knowledge and expertise of Christian apologetics and the Scripture, were there some things in this process of doing the research and preparing for the new book that even came as a bit of an aha moment for you? Well, I have to say yes. In fact, uh, when I was going through the book of Revelation, that's not normally a book that you think of as having a lot of uh, applicational and transformational truths in. But I discovered that there's a whole lot of application there. Uh, for example, when you look at chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, there is just so much application there. For example, among the principles that I talk about are, just as God is gloriously enthroned in heaven, so he must be enthroned upon our hearts. Boy, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one is this. Take steps to avoid spiritual lethargy and spiritual blindness. You know, that's dealing with the church at Laodicea. And, you know, the whole point that I'm trying to make is, is, is that as you go through each book, whether it's the book of Revelation or some other book, there are some nuggets that you're going to find there that will absolutely change your life. And I must tell you that this all grew out of my own personal quiet times with the Lord. You know, when I spent time in Scripture, what I would often do is just write little principles down in the margin of my Bible. And that was such a blessing to me. And so I I just started to thinking, you know what, this is such a blessing to me. I wonder if this might also bless some other Christians out there. And and I, I started to wonder whether this is something that might excite other Christians about the Word of God. And so that was my motivation in writing this book. Is there also some effort in this process, Ron? And I, I ask this question in all seriousness, particularly coming from uh, a region like the San Francisco Bay Area, where we have the lowest per capita church attendance in the nation. And oftentimes when we talk about either the the grander topic or larger topic of Christianity or more specific to Scripture, um, both are often either seen as irrelevant or extreme. Well, that's true, and I think that's a growing trend. The, the, the latest polls indicate that that's a growing viewpoint uh, among uh, people in America and around the world. But what I think we have to do is to sort of get, a, get rid of this smoke screen that's out there with people kind of blindly walking around 
and to give people something that they can use that works in real life. And that's what I'm trying to help people to understand, that the Bible is life-changing in our century. Here we are in 2017, and in 2017, this book can actually change your life for the better. This book can set you on fire spiritually. And uh, if there's one thing that I want people to get away from, it's the idea that Christianity is just head knowledge, you know, believing in certain ideas that might be interesting but aren't life-changing. You see, the Bible doesn't just touch the head, it also touches the heart. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation, there are truths that can just really light up your life in a big way. And the more that people understand that, I think the more that uh, people will stop claiming that the Bible is irrelevant for today. Here's another question for you that I'm curious about. And and, uh, folks in the audience that are either engineers or mechanics or work in the technical field will understand this, that that typically for devices, it might be, well, in the radio industry, a, a broadcast transmitter or in the automotive industry, uh, your car, your truck, there are typically two manuals available. There is the technical manual that is written and intended for the guy that's going to get up underneath the hood and do repair work to your vehicle or the broadcast engineer that's going to keep the transmitter on the air. And then there's the operations manual. This is intended for the guy or gal that's going to sit behind the wheel every day and drive this vehicle down the road and needs to know how to apply things like how often do we change the oil, check the tire pressure, uh, where's the switch for the headlights, the emergency flashers, things of this sort. In, in some respects, and forgive me if that's not the most accurate analogy, Ron, but in some respects, do you see the key idea Ideas Bible Handbook is sort of your, your effort at providing sort of the owner, owner's manual to Scripture so that believers can get that aha moment and see and understand and apply for themselves the nuggets of truth and the value that is hidden inside of, and sometimes not all that hidden, it's, it's more obvious if folks would just take the time to read it, but they're inside of all 66 books of the Bible so that we can extrapolate and then apply to our lives for daily application every aspect of these truths. Well, you know, I think that's a helpful analogy, and I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. Uh, I think it's not only kind of like a uh, operation manual that shows you how to operate your life, but it's also got some little nuggets in there for those who want to go deeper. I have all kinds of little outline boxes and quotes from people throughout church history that take people deeper. And, you know, uh, talking about an operator's manual, you know, I've purchased an awful lot of products in the past, and I'm kind of intuitive. Sometimes I put things together without looking at the instructions. And more than once, I have busted the thing just right there before I finished putting it together. <laughs> Or, or, like on, or, or like on Christmas morning where you got the bicycle put together, but you're not quite sure what the 10 extra screws and nuts are for. Oh, uh, yeah, what are these screws for? <laughs> they must uh, be spares. Know, That's always my time. excuse. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the point that I'm making there is that in the same way, uh, if you don't operate your life according to the owner's manual, which is the Bible, well, you know what? You can bust your life up pretty quick. God is the one who created us. He knows exactly what makes our lives operate at, at optimum levels. And he's revealed that in the Word of God. And if we choose to ignore the the Word of God, then we're the ones that pay for it. So it's really in your own best interest to take this seriously. Well, and you know, contrary to the misconception that I think some have that either come from a a disenfranchised sort of jaded approach or others who have never been properly and fully instructed— 
The Bible is not intended to make our lives confusing, complicated, and more difficult. Um, it's it's not intended to be a, a headbuster, uh, but rather intended to make life easier and smoother, and to allow us to, in every aspect of the of the phrase, get to know our Maker and our Savior in a deeper, richer, more personable way. And I think, to a great degree, the Key Ideas Bible Handbook goes a long way toward helping the reader understand more of that, and not just understand more of Scripture, but then be able to say, okay, not only do I understand this, but now I know where and how it applies specifically to my life. And in that regard, I guess this is not only a great book for young believers, but anybody who's really looking to go a little bit deeper. Well, exactly. Uh, it's not just for young believers, but for believers who have maybe been studying the Bible for such a long time that they've become top-heavy. And by top-heavy, I mean that their brains are full of knowledge, but maybe they're not doing so good spiritually. Well, this is the kind of book that can change that. And by the way, uh, I have to watch out for that, too, and I'm sure that you do as well. There's a lot of us that do so much studying of Scripture, and we get our minds so filled with the facts of the Bible that sometimes people have a tendency not to pay as much attention to their devotional lives. And this book is devotional and inspirational from beginning to end. Yes, there's a lot of theology in it, but that theology is inspirational and life-changing. Well, the other thing, too, Ron, I think, is that sometimes, uh, and, and with no malice aforethought, I think sometimes we have been, and speaking for myself here, dismissive of certain aspects of Scripture, not to say that we don't uh, value it or recognize it as the inspired Word of God, but rather look at certain passages and say, well, you know, all this genealogy stuff, I mean, you know, maybe that helps if you're going to write a book or something, but do I really need to know that? Does it really apply to me? A Levitical law, I mean, my goodness, how deep can we quickly get lost in the book of Leviticus? And yet, as we said earlier, this is not just a historical document. This is educational and applicational. And so to the degree to which it can help to sort of rekindle that flame of passion for reading and applying God's Word, I think it's a, it's a great tool across the board, both for new believers as well as for the old folks like me. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate you saying that, and my prayer is that this would be a life-changing tool for everyone who's listening today. And uh, whether you're going through a genealogy or the book of Revelation or an epistle like the book of Galatians, all of it will touch your heart if you just take the chance and try it. And so the challenge is, are, are you going to be brave enough to try it? Are you going to get out there and, and take a look at the book and go through the scriptures and let it change your life? You'll be better if you do. Well, and certainly the book makes the process a lot easier. So, uh, you know, with all the books that we review on this program and the number of guests that we come on, uh, a lot of them, and Jarrell can can attest to this, wind up over here in the bookcase uh, or given away. This one's going home with me. It's the Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts book by book. It is newly published by Harvest House, and its author has been our guest on this segment of Lifeline, Ron Rhodes. And Ron, is always great to have you on the show. Always an education. Keep up the good work, my friend, and we'll look forward to get you on again real soon. Ron Rhodes, by the way, you can order the book directly online through his website, ronrhodes.org. That's ronrhodes with an H dot O-R-G. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you think about building a structure, going to put up a house, an apartment complex, What do you need? Well, you need some important elements. First, you need the earth below it, capable of 
supporting the weight of the building, so you don't want to have it on shifting sand. It's probably not good to have it on the edge of a cliff, right? Then you need to have upon that earth footings or a foundation that is capable of supporting the weight of the structure of the building, upon which then on that foundation goes the frame. Inside the frame goes things like plumbing and electrical, water, sewer, the like. On top of the frame go the walls to provide warmth and coolness, a roof over top to provide protection for the elements. Then in the interior, you want things like carpeting, heating, air conditioning to make the home comfortable. And then things like a kitchen to prepare meals, a bath, sleeping quarters, living quarters to make it habitable. But if you think about it, in all that entire process of going from no structure to a completed structure capable of supporting habitability or life, it all starts with one thing, a plan. Blueprints. My guest tonight, I think, would suggest that as we look at the amazing structure that we call home, called planet Earth, inside our galaxy, traveling about here in this amazing Milky Way, that in order for us to arrive at a place of habitability, on planet Earth, there had to be a plan. The book is called Improbable Planet, How Earth Became Humanity's Home. Joining us today is the founder and president of Reasons to Believe, best-selling author who mentioned quite a number of number one bestsellers to his name. We're pleased to have join us today Dr. Hugh Ross. And Dr. Ross, always a delight and an education to have you with us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. You know, we think about habitability, and, and uh, I, I think the example is you cite inside the pages of Improbable Planet that the the correlation between the capacity of, of creating a structure that allows us to put up a building and finally arrive at a place where we can inhabit and enjoy it, provide it uh, its serviceable use to us, uh, is very much uh, equal to equating life's sustainability features of Earth, aren't they? Well, they are, and what the book documents is the amount of design and fine-tuning you need, not just for life, but for plants and animals, and not just for plants and animals, but for human beings, and especially for human beings, where billions of us can live on the planet at one time and develop a technology where we can hear and respond to the redemptive message, the real reason why the Creator created the universe. And what we see is that the level of design goes up exponentially with each step. And so it actually begins with a Bible study I did where I noted that every creation text links the doctrine of creation with the doctrine of redemption and how the Bible states that God actually uh, starts his works of redemption before he creates anything. That would imply that everything that God creates is for the purpose of redemption. And that launched a three-year study on my part through the scientific literature to put that to the test. And indeed, that's what came out, is that literally every component of the universe, of Earth, of Earth's life, and every event in the history of the universe, Earth and Earth's life, plays a critical role in making possible the redemption of billions of human beings in a short window of time. And, of course, not only playing a critical role, but it, it gives um, every every step, every aspect, just as I suggested with the, what you would need to create a structure that would be habitable for us to enjoy, uh, for, for livability. Uh, the same thing is true of planet Earth, that this is not just all coming together by accident. You speak of um, some of the features of planet Earth, for example, that are 
necessary. They're essential to human life. Things like uh, the geographical, the chemical, atmospheric, biological, astronomical features of this planet that make it not only unique, but as you suggest in the book, um, going from simply the ability to sustain complex life to even having a reason why it's capable of sustaining that life. Yeah, I'll give you one example. I mean, for billions of humans to live on the planet at one time, we have to be living in an ice age cycle, where the planet cycles between 10% ice coverage and 23% ice coverage, where the period of the cycle is 100,000 years. And this is the only time in Earth's history where we've had such a cycle. Moreover, to have billions of people develop technology, we have to be living in the warm interglacial period which is 10% ice coverage, that follows the most severe ice age in the entire ice age cycle. And you've probably heard of things like climate warming and climate stability. What I document in the book is that we're living in a unique time window in the entire history of the Earth. The past 9,000 years, we've seen extreme climate stability at the optimal temperature for human civilization. Why? Because seven cycles and the variation of Earth's orbit and a rotation axis all came together to open up this unique time window. We've been in 9,000 years. At most, we can sustain it for another 1,000. And so God is giving us this brief time window in which we can take the redemptive message to all the people groups of the world and have them respond. And from a biblical perspective, this universe is a pathway to a far better universe. Dr. Yoon Ross, our guest today, a look at his new book, Improbable Planet, How Earth Became Humanity's Home. The new book, by the way, just published by Baker Books. And uh, yeah, you're thinking about gift giving perhaps already. Um, Thanksgiving's just a couple of weeks away. Before you know that, soon after, of course, it'll be Christmas time. And uh, a book like this can not only be great for any skeptic, but anyone who wants to understand sort of the deeper story from the scientific reasoning uh, behind not only how things came to be, how man came to be, but most importantly, some of the reasons why. We'll get to more of those reasons why as our conversation with Dr. Hugh Ross continues and our look at Improbable Planet. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation continues with best-selling author Dr. Hugh Ross. His latest book is called Improbable Planet, How Earth Became Humanity's Home. Dr. Ross, in some respects, is this book sort of the sequel to um, your previous book that, that opens up the subject matter of why the universe is the way it is? Yeah, to some degree it is. I mean, that book was basically targeting how God designed the universe to eliminate evil and suffering. This book goes on to talk about how God designed the earth and all of its life so we can understand and respond to uh, his purpose for creating, namely to redeem us into a new creation, a new realm beyond this one. There are others out there, um, I think of the Carl Sagans of the world, that would suggest as we look at the layers of complexity that we're going to have you go into this evening, that all of this in relationship to Earth's capacity to support life is just simply an amazing coincidence. What of that notion? Well, often they're not looking at uh, the number of coincidences. Yeah, you could say maybe four or five of them are just coincidental, but when it adds up to hundreds and even thousands, and that's what this book documents, thousands of different aspects of the history and the components have to be fine-tuned to make it possible the existence of billions of human beings on the Earth. A few, maybe. Thousands, no. It's, it's clear evidence that God is controlling things. In fact, they argue, and I said this 
in front of scientific audiences. If we actually look at science from a redemptive perspective, we have a more efficient tool for rapidly advancing scientific progress. I mean, if indeed everything that we see in creation is for the purpose of redemption, that should give us a tool for discovery. And the book basically documents the success of that approach to science. And, of course, what's critical about uh, this research that you've done is not only do you demonstrate that there are thousands of factors involved uh, that need to be in place, but also the the tight measurements, um, the the tight confines to which um, something can swing from being compatible and habitable to suddenly inhabitable. I mean, for example, uh, we have temperatures across Earth, some of the highest temperatures in, in the deserts that reach 115, 120 degrees. I suppose if we saw that ratchet up by 10 or 15 more degrees and saw that take place in more places across the planet, suddenly planet Earth goes from being habitable to inhabitable pretty quickly. And a lot of that has to do with just simple things like the the, the tilt of the Earth, doesn't it? Well, it does, and there's a chapter in the book, Chapter 7, where I talk about habitable zones. Because you've probably heard that a number of my fellow astronomers will say, well, there's 40 billion planets in, our, in the habitable zone or Milky Way galaxy alone. But all they're looking at is water habitability. Today we know of nine distinct habitable zones. So, for example, in addition to the water habitable zone, you got the ultraviolet habitable zone the astrophere habitable zone, uh, the atmospheric electric field habitable zone. Now, we do know of 3,600 planets outside of our solar system, but of all the planets we discovered, there's only one planet that resides in all nine habitable zones, and that's the one you and I are sitting on. And unless it resides simultaneously in all nine habitable zones, the planet is not habitable. So they're really being unfair then. It's almost as if they're picking and choosing when they suggest, uh, based on some of these calculations, that there could be up to 40 billion possible habitable planets uh, in the Milky Way galaxy. But it doesn't take into consideration all of these factors suggesting that the notion that Earth can have a life-supporting twin is probably unlikely? That's right. They're picking the most generous zone and ignoring the ones that are the most restrictive. I mean, water is the third most abundant molecule in the universe. The universe is really wet. So the fact that we find water in a lot of places is no big surprise, but there's eight other factors that need to be taken into account. Moreover, the structure of the planets. You know, we have eight planets in our solar system. It was actually born with ten. And unless those ten are all fine-tuned exactly the way they were or are, you cannot have advanced life on planet Earth. Of course, what's fascinating about this, as I suggested in the opening remarks that, as you make in the book, the comparison between uh, the building of a habitable planet to the building of a habitable building, that uh, in both cases it starts with having the essential construction materials at hand. Even the balance of that is very unique to planet Earth, is it not? It is. There's a chapter in the book on dirt where I basically encourage people, don't take dirt for granted. Our planet has got the only dirt that allows you to grow uh, food grains. I mean, you know, I don't know if you saw that movie about the Martian that showed Matt Damon growing potatoes on Mars. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Well, the soil of Mars has got 60 times as much sulfur as Earth does. You're not going to be able to grow anything on Mars unless you bring soil from planet Earth. Fascinating. And, of course, with that idea, not only is it essential that you have the right construction materials, but there's another factor here 
Uh, and that is anybody that's going to build a building, let's say it's for, uh, uh, you know, uh, living purposes, you want to make sure it's in the right neighborhood. Nobody's going to put up a beautiful uh, three- or four-bedroom home with a swimming pool and put it right in the middle of an industrial park that's surrounded by nothing but uh, light industry and large warehouses. And I guess the same thing is equally true in a sense in relationship to not just that we exist, but where Earth is situated in relationship to uh, what should we call it, the rest of our our, our neighborhood here in the Milky Way galaxy? Well, in order for advanced light to be possible, our solar system must be born in the most dangerous part of our Milky Way galaxy, relatively close to the center of the galaxy. That's so we can get enriched with sufficient heavy elements from exploding stars. But it's essential we get kicked out right, at, right after we get enriched. And we see about our sun as it got kicked out from the most dangerous place in our Milky Way galaxy and situated in the safest place in our Milky Way galaxy. And that happens to be the only place in our Milky Way galaxy where we astronomers can observe the entirety of the universe and directly witness the cosmic creation event. So God not only put us in the best possible place uh, for civilization, he also put us in the best possible place to make scientific discoveries. And there's also something that I learned fascinating inside the pages of your new book, Improbable Planet, and that is this notion that as much as suggesting that there is up to 40 billion possible habitable planets that discounts a lot of critical factors, then, too, isn't it true that this notion that uh, there are other galaxies that could support life? For example, you make an A-B comparison between the characteristics of the Milky Way galaxy versus the Andromeda galaxy. Tell us about what some of those critical distinctions are. Well, often we look at the Andromeda galaxy and call it a sister galaxy because of how much it looks like the Milky Way. But when you look at its spiral arm structure, it's warped and it's distorted. Why? Because it suffered a collision from a fairly big dwarf galaxy just a half billion years ago. And the warping and the distortion is such that it eliminates the possibility of advanced life in that galaxy. And there's actually 200 different features of our Milky Way galaxy that must be exquisitely fine-tuned for advanced light to be possible. You, know, you have to have a spiral arm structure. The spiral arms have to be extremely symmetrical, and they have to have the right space between the spiral arms. The galaxy's got to be the right mass. It needs to have a high ratio of dark matter uh, to ordinary matter in it, and it's got to be relatively free of spurs and feathers between the arms. And we have studied thousands of other spiral galaxies, Ours is the only one that meets the characteristics that advanced life needs. And if you take a look at those two differences, if, if the characteristics that you observe of the Andromeda galaxy were present in the Milky Way galaxy, that would then suggest that life could not be sustainable on planet Earth inside the Milky Way? You might build a bacteria that could exist for a few months, but you wouldn't have plants, animals, and you certainly wouldn't have human beings. It just becomes that uh, hostile, in other words, to the it's ability of sustaining hostile. life. Everywhere we look in the universe, we see hostility for advanced life except in our planet Earth. And, you know, after a while, you look at this, and as much as nobody looks at a fantastic building, you look at the Pyramid uh, Transamerica building in downtown San Francisco, you take a look at the Sears Tower in Chicago, look at the um, Empire State Building in New York City, and you, you've got to think to yourself, that took forethought, that took engineering ability, that took planning, that took science, 
that took not only uh, a sense of vision, but also a sense of the end game, a sense of what the purpose would be. And as we're learning today from Dr. Hugh Ross, there's more than just planning behind the presence of life on Earth, but in fact, purpose, too. We'll talk a bit about that as well and when we continue with our conversation. The new book is called Improbable Planet, How Earth Became Humanity's Home, newly published by Baker Books, available through the usual suspects. Get it online at Amazon.com. You can also order it directly through Reasons to Believe simply by going to Reasons.org. That's Reasons.org. We'll come back to more of our conversation with best-selling author Dr. Hugh Ross as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we're learning today, even when somebody like Carl Sagan suggests that millions of life planets must exist, um, suggesting that there is nothing unusual or extraordinary about planet Earth, Dr. Hugh Ross is proving the contrary to be true, that there are complexities about this planet that make life here possible that with uh, just a variety of changes here and there would suddenly make its sustainability impossible. Toward that end, you also talk in the book, as you sort of lead to this uh, logical conclusion, Dr. Ross, that if Earth is capable of sustaining physical life, as it's demonstrated down through its history, um, we have certainly have seen also then the ability of it to sustain physical life along with mind-possessing life. But you take it a step further. You suggest that not only can the planet sustain physical life and mind-possessing life, but also spiritual life. Tell me more about that. Yes. I mean, uh, the whole purpose for God creating is to bring about a redemptive relationship between him and the human species. And we're told in the Bible that he intends to bring a countless number into that relationship. And the Greeks could count up to a billion, so he's talking billions. So that implies that the earth must be designed in such a way to support billions of people at one time. And that only began to happen 9,000 years ago. Only for the past 9,000 years has that been possible. And we also notice that uh, he salted the earth uh, with all the resources we need to make possible the technology we need to take the good news of redemption to all the people groups of the world. Everything is targeting purpose. I would argue that the earth and its inhabitants, all of its life, all of its history, screams that there's purpose for humanity and actually targets us to exactly what that purpose is. And so I'm amazed at all the new scientific discoveries of the past two years. I mean, one thing we discovered is that uh, in order for plate tectonics to start and be sustained, you need life to be created at the same time and to be sustained throughout that time. Life requires plate tectonics, plate tectonics requires life, and all that plate tectonics and life is necessary to provide us with the resources so that billions of human beings can hear and respond to the redemptive message. Is this eventually going to force those that come at this purely from a scientific standpoint and wish to go no further, um, that as we look at the progression of well, the laws of physics and their impact on planet Earth, natural selection, its impact, ultimately coming to the slow realization that for there to be laws, for there to be natural selection, there must be a source for all of that? Well, I think so. I mean, I was at a conference once where atheist scientists were speaking and they all insisted that there was no God, but they also insisted that we human beings have purpose. We got value. 
uh, we have some kind of eternal destiny. And it's like, none of that makes sense if there is no God. But if God designed this universe uh, so that we did have purpose and ultimate destiny, then it all makes sense. But what that revealed to me is that we human beings, no matter how hard we try, cannot deny that within us we have purpose, we have meaning, we have value. It's written upon our hearts. It tells us that in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I find that even committed atheists have a very difficult time denying that. Yes, yeah, some of the um, some of the remarks made by even um, Richard Dawkins over the last year or two are beginning to suggest that there's a bit of thawing, <laughs> even of his position. Yes, well, I mean, what I admire about Richard Dawkins, he says science can test religious ideas. I agree with him on that, and I'm eager to try to use science as a tool to test competing religious ideas. Part of the science also. Um, beginning to put some holes into Charles Darwin's theory, and I asked that question because Darwin, of course, always held that there was a presumption of development and transformation of development of life on the planet that was slow, it was smooth, it was gradual, it was contiguous, but you argue in the book that that just simply isn't so. Well, I do. In uh, Chapter 12, I talk about what's called the faint sun paradox, how the sun today is 20 to 25 percent brighter than it was when God first created life. But light can only tolerate about a 2% change in the solar brightness. And we notice is that uh, we see in these mass extinction and mass speciation events that life is wholesale removed from planet Earth and shortly thereafter replaced with completely different species of life. But we notice about those replacements, they're more efficient at pulling greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. So as the sun gets progressively brighter and brighter, the greenhouse effect of Earth's atmosphere becomes progressively weaker and weaker, keeping the temperature on the surface of the Earth ideal for life. But my point is this. Only a mind that knows the future physics of the Sun and the Earth will know which light to remove and what new life to replace that remove life with. And it's actually stated that way in uh, Psalm uh, 104, that it's a property of all light to die off, but God recreates and renews the face of the earth. If he's not constantly removing light and replacing that light, then quickly the sun's luminosity makes it impossible for any life to be sustained for the rest of the history of the earth. So this is a classic example. If we integrate across the scientific disciplines, that's where we see that the holes in the Darwinian paradigm are not just in one discipline, in all the disciplines. And, and fascinating, even as we make that comparison to something as simple as a seed falling to the earth and dying and then giving forth life, that even right. in the most simplicity uh, of, of creation, it's there. Well, one thing I talk about in the book is that the grains that are crucial for feeding our planet, they only existed in the very recent history of Earth. It literally took billions of years of preparation of previous life forms to make possible the existence of rice and wheat and oats and millet. And without that, we couldn't feed our population. So if we string all of this together, Earth providing essential construction materials situated in the right 
neighborhood, the uniqueness of our solar system, all of this is sort of builds layer upon layer. Um, we begin to slowly draw the conclusion that all of this has to come together with a plan. And if a plan, there must be a architect, there must be a planner. And as you suggest at the conclusion of the book, ultimately that leads us back to the notion that God himself planned and prepared Earth as our home. He did, and he particularly targeted us human beings. It's not just a God creating a home for life. He wanted a home where there'd be sentient beings that could come into a relationship with him. All of it exists for us human beings. Ultimately, what would you conclude is, is your intent in terms of the, the takeaway um, for readers that look at this book, either because they're trying to understand more from a scientific viewpoint or see the deeper correlation between uh, the creator and the creation. What's the big takeaway in, in, in the way you've approached writing this book? Well, the universe has to be exactly the size that it is. Every star, every planet, every comet, uh, every bacterium, every life form, every event in history, the universe and the Earth and Earth's life, has to be exactly the way it is for us human beings uh, to exist and to develop the kind of civilization we need to discover God and come into relationship with Him. The takeaway I hope people will realize is that we human beings are incredibly valuable in the sight of the Creator and that He has a purpose uh, for us. He wants us to discover that purpose. So I end the book by basically challenging people where there's a purpose for humanity in general but God has designed a special purpose for every individual human being. The purpose he has for me is different from all the other 7.5 billion people on the earth. I need to find what that purpose is and fulfill it in the few decades that God has me here in this creation. And, of course, what's so wonderful about the conclusions that we can draw at the end of Improbable Planet is that this... Um, spinning sphere upon which we call home is far too complex, too detailed, and too involved to simply have happened by accident. And if created, then therefore a creator. If designed with purpose, then certainly there must be a designer and a plan in place. The book is called Improbable Planet, How Earth Became Humanity's Home, newly released by Baker Books. You'll find it available through Bay Area bookstores as well as directly through Reasons to Believe at reasons.org. That's reasons.org. The book again called Improbable Planet by our guest tonight, best-selling author Dr. Hugh Ross. Dr. Ross, as always, it's been a delight and an education to have you with us. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And again, the book available through reasons.org. That's reasons.org. Improbable Planet by Dr. Hugh Ross. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.